You're listening to The Grapevine Podcast with Dylan Bird and Kalia Colston. On today's show, we speak to filmmaker Warwick Thornton all about his brand new documentary, We Don't Need a Map. We also speak to Tony Morton, the president of the Public Transport Users Association, all about the health of Melbourne's public transport network. Hope you can stay with us. It's great to have director and cinematographer Warwick Thornton back on Triple R. He's, of course, the director of award-winning feature film Samson and Delilah, but has many other documentary and short films to his name. Uh, we've got him today to speak about his new film, which opened the Sydney Film Festival this year and screens this Sunday on SBS. It's called We Don't Need a Map. And the drive to make this comic and really insightful documentary came from the flack Warwick cop back in 2010 when he raised concerns, the symbol of the Southern Cross had been misappropriated as a racist emblem. And it's really great to have you on Triple R, Warwick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, g'day, g'day. G'day. And uh, watching the film, um, I caught it over the weekend, made me think more than once about the treatment of Yasmin Abdel-Magid um, and what she's kind of copped since her Lest We Forget tweet earlier in the year. And I'd almost forgotten your yep. comments about the Southern Cross and the swastika back in 2010. I mean, how much flack did you get back then? Was it kind of equivalent? Oh, no, not, not at all. Not at all. You know, I, don't, I don't have the profile that she has. So, um, you know, and... You know, it was just about dickheads, really, and and a couple of um, sort of paid newspaper racists who who get paid to talk shit. So, <laughs> kind of, no, no, nothing compared to what she she's been having to put up with. But it kind of, it kind of plays into a, a bit of a theme, I guess, with um, you know people questioning certain aspects of Australia's history or or symbolism. And, and in the film, you've got a lot of great people who are included in the documentary. But Ros Ward um, is also in there. She caught um, a lot of criticism. She was an academic at La Trobe University, um, following her comments uh, that the Australian flag is racist. So it seems that when some of these things are questioned, um, there are quite a lot of people out there who um, who don't like hearing that. Yeah, absolutely. But the, you know, with, with Rose Ford, you know, and this is the way I see it, is that she was she was attacked for other reasons, basically. You know, the safe homes was, you know, something that she and a couple of other people instigated, and that's kind of so people were looking for a fight with her. And you know, a lot of people say the Australian flag's uh, racist, but they don't they don't get the you know the 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 vitriol and the and the and the you know the the verbal abuse that she got she got a, the way I see it anyway so she they were looking for a fight with her um, for other reasons but that's the one where they go right we've got her kind of idea so you know we have we have we have a lot of you know a lot of past is not actually represented in our history books and when we talk about it people get upset but a lot of the time they're looking for another fight sadly. And, I mean, what's the response been to the film? Have you had the, se- the same sense of outrage, be- you know, following this film um, that screened at Sydney Film Festival earlier in the year? Are you Or are you expecting any flack from it uh, from coming from the SBS screening on, on Sunday? Or do you think no, there's I'm, kind of a general I'm, feeling now that, you know, the, the, the Southern Cross has actually been co-opted? Well, you know, I, of course, I'm, I'm expecting some, but I'm, I'm a little bit smarter now than I was before. You know, you just sort of, you just be very wary of sort of singular bogs and all that sort of stuff. There'll be there'll be people who, who who you know rub their own nipples and get very upset about it. You know, and they're paid to do that. But um, it's you know, it's part and parcel of if you want to say something, you're just going to have to stand up and be counted. You know, there's there's a there's there's a reason for being, and someone gave me a camera one day, and I learned how to use it. And you know, I 
I need to use it in the most important ways, and that's what I do for a living. So I get paid to do this in a strange way. You know that that sense that the Australian flag and the Southern Cross in particular has become a racist emblem is something that a lot of people are, are really sad about, and it's something that you, you too have um, been sad about. And I suppose the... That the change seemed to have been around the Cronulla riots back in 2005 that, that people that used it as a kind of a patriotic symbol now actually don't see it in the same light anymore. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a funny one. You know, it's a, we've, we've got a history of, um, of raising flags in, in racist ways. You know, the, uh, you know, the birth of our democracy was, you know, a little place just out of Melbourne, you know, where we... We, we kicked against the pricks, against the British, and, you know, the miners were all shot at Eureka. But then suddenly the Eureka flag, very quickly, within within a couple of months, was, OK, well, we don't like the Chinese. We don't like the British, but we don't like the Chinese either. So we'll raise the flag to get rid of the Chinese as well. So it's sort of, we've had a lot of this in our history. And it's kind of... That, that was, for me, an absolute discovery. You know, the, the film, for me, was a journey to go, well, I don't know much about Southern Cross. You know, I... I know that little tiny bit about it with, with my community, you know, um, in Alice Springs. I know a little bit about the indigenous side of it from my community in Alice Springs, but I don't really know much about it. Didn't, didn't even know if it was a star or a galaxy. Or, so just going through that whole world and going on this journey made me, you know, a better human being in a strange way. More knowledge is, you know, more, more, the more knowledge that I got making the film, the more, um, you know, in, informed my decisions are from here on in. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the Southern Cross, if we think about the Eureka flag, for example, that's um, one, I guess, um, earlier co-opting of that particular constellation that's been synonymous with, with workers' rights and, of course, a lot of unions still use that flag as a, as a symbol of, um, you know, workers' solidarity and so on. But but as um, yeah. you, you cover in the film, there was a sort of very racist element to those days back um, around the gold rush in Australia's history. So there was always this this element of, of utilising the Southern Cross um, post-colonisation, post invasion invasion that that was in some ways against people coming here or people being different yeah absolutely and you know we've obviously you know with australia you know our, our nationalistic the ideas of australia have become more and more sort of narrow-minded and more nationalistic and that's become that's come through fear of you know the external hordes in a way and it's 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 the fact you know we we we, we were pretty free loving country and we kind of still think we are but we, we you know it's sort of it's, it's strange how our borders are becoming more and more you know we're starting to build walls around ourselves and you know and it's kind of it's a scary thought that if we go down this path there's a lot of other countries that have done this and you know over over the many centuries and it's all turned into shit really uh, how did you sort of choose who to include in in this film work Oh, there's a couple of rock stars I've always wanted to talk to, like Gareth. And, you know, Gareth, Gareth Lydiard, Adam Briggs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, you know what I mean? Who who are just cheeky bastards but have, you know, incredibly beautiful free-flowing, you know, free, free thoughts. And they're very naughty and, they, you know, they, 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 they're very happy to, to say what they feel. And that was perfect. But then, you know, there's, there's, there's a fair few academics in it and... They sort of, we just found the most, you know, the, the, per, the you know, the people with the, 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 who have spent their lives, you know, thinking about this stuff. And what I did too is I, uh, I, one of the, the only rule I had to choose people is I just didn't want any racists 
in the film. I didn't want to give one frame, one second to a bloody racist who's, you know, who's going to argue the point that no one landed on the moon. You know, that kind of, that, those kind of humans. So it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, the film is slightly biased. It's sort of the people that I'd, you know, go to dinner to with. It's, you know, it sort of it's, it doesn't have people that I wouldn't go to dinner with. And, I mean, you also speak to, as well as rock stars like Gareth Lydiard and, and Briggs and so on, you also speak to, I guess you'd say, regular people who have, um, one in particular, and I don't want to reveal too much about the film because I hope people will um, will still really want to see it this Sunday, but uh, one person who's a, a teacher who got a Southern Cross tattoo on his back when he was younger and I guess um, at that point didn't fully meet, didn't fully understand or the Southern Cross hadn't come to be associated with that kind of nationalistic fervour as it has today and has was as was really galvanised around the Cronulla riots. And I think that that tattoo industry and the, the industry of uh, removing tattoos from these people who have unwittingly ha- had a Southern Cross, um, you know, put on their arm or their back is a really fascinating perspective as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There, you know, and, you know, a lot of that sort of, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of emotion that comes to the Southern Cross through the Anzacs and, you know, if, if, if from, I generally, I was getting in trouble a lot the last time from people whose um, grandparents fought in wars and all that sort of stuff, go, you don't understand, you know what I mean? Don't trash the Anzacs and all that sort of, you know, and it's kind of, that's that was really important to me because a lot of people have got Southern Cross tattoos, you know, generally to do to a lament to family members who, who, who went to, you know, all the numerous wars that we fought for other people, and, you know, it's sort of, it kind of, and it was really important to tell their stories because people, you know, when I first seen the Southern Cross tattoo on someone's car, I went, wow, that's pretty cool, you know, and, you know, it sort of, it was like, that's a that's a really nice concept in a way and, you know, sort of slightly empowering and then it sort of just got narrow-minded and turned into, you know, into this nationalistic disaster and it's it's... For those people, you know, and, and for me too, personally, I, I started judging after Cronulla riots, which sadly I call the Sydney riots. Why, why is it poor old Cronulla? It's the whole of Sydney, you know what I mean? It's Australian. Let's call it the Australian riots rather than some, you know, tiny little beach, you know, off to the left of Sydney. Let's call it the Australian riots, you know, because it is. It's, it's, this is part of our history. This is the country's history. It's not that suburb's history. But, you know, after that there, it's sort of like it was obviously co-opted. But there was people who actually had a legitimate reason to have a Southern Cross tattoo. And so I started looking at anybody with a Southern Cross tattoo and going, oh, you're one of them dickheads. And they're not, they weren't them dickheads, but, you know, there are them dickheads. And so suddenly you think, you, you, you sort of, I was doing my own version of racism, going, going, oh, anybody with a Southern Cross tattoo is a dickhead. And that's not true, you know. And it was important to go with people who actually are dickheads, who have these tattoos, and see how it's been co-opted by, other, by by real dickheads, but there's perfectly good human beings, beautiful human beings who actually had a really, really sens- sensitive and sensible idea of what, what the what that meant to them on their body. Yeah, and they're coming to terms with it now. And um, Warwick Thornton's with us. His um, new film, We Don't Need a Map, screening this weekend, this Sunday on SBS. And I was thinking um, it would be, I mean, it'd be great to see it on, on the little screen, and I did as well, but I imagine on the big screen, the sky scenes that you show in this film must look pretty amazing, Warwick. And as part of that, you speak to Yongu and Walpuri elders and hear their stories. Were some of those new to you as well? Yeah, totally, absolutely. You know, I'm Aboriginal, but it doesn't mean I know anything about my own culture. You know what I mean? But there's, you know, there's 
the, you know, when Cook rocked up, there's, you know, 600 languages. Each of those languages is its own culture, its own religion. So, you know, it's sort of like, you know, there, there was more more languages than the whole of Europe. So for me to understand everything about everybody, is you know, everybody who's Aboriginal and their culture is sort of like a bit crazy. So going on that journey, I learned so much from the Yungles. Uh, I learned so much from, you know, Victorian mob, you know, it's sort of, it was it was fantastic. I learned so much about, you know, my people. And that, I mean, the Southern Cross and that, that particular constellation, as you show in the film, it means um, so many different things to different people and, and particularly Aboriginal groups right across Australia. But I, I think it's it's Briggs uh, towards the end of the film who who points out that, um, you know, once uh, something has, has come to symbolise something or have a certain meaning behind it, and he likens it to the, the swastika, that, you know, someone couldn't walk around with a swastika tattoo on them these days and claim that it was about Hinduism or something, that that symbol has become so loaded that everyone knows or understands what it means and I guess having gone through the process of making the film, do you think that the the Southern Cross tattoo that particular constellation that I think a lot of people would, would recognise has been forever um, I guess symbolised for the worse or is there a way that that symbol can mean something more, more harmonious, harmonious rather than the, the kind of racist undertones that it's come to represent? You know, the, the, there has to be light at the end of the tunnel and there has to be, and I'm a kind of romantic kind of guy, I reckon that we can take it back and we can, you know what I mean, we can empower ourselves to, to, to create something really important and beautiful back back again, you know, we're back where it started, you know, back, you know, 100,000 years ago. We can, we can take it back. We're allowed to, you know, it, it's, uh, it hasn't gone down, that, it hasn't ended in the path of the swastika yet but we're all we're doing now is having that conversation before we go down that slippery slippery slide and we find ourselves at the bottom going shit what happened you know what i mean it's sort of that's if we have these conversations now we 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 can we can really take it back and I mean, you speak with Bruce Pascoe, who's been t- trying to take back a whole lot of, um, you know, will at least change the perspective that we have on on colonisation and and also how far back farming practices and the like go in um, this nation's history and this country's history. And uh, his, you know, I suppose knowledge I've really valued, and his books I've really valued over many years now. But there was something in yeah, your dark film, emu, yeah, yeah, dark emu. Everybody needs to read that book uh and uh, i mean what i you know the the idea that uh there's rock formations and and i suppose understanding of of um the the way that the sun moves through the sky and the solstices and so forth that's evident here in australia that we just don't know about it's kind of like when bruce's talking about uh, you know aboriginal uh people being the first bakers in the world and yet we think it's egypt and and this kind of lack of understanding of of our history here um, on this country. And uh, I mean, that journey for you, I imagine, was pretty amazing in the film. Absolutely. You know, going to Wadi Riang, you know, the, 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 the rock formation, the solstice rock formation, you know, out there, you know, in, in the sort of south of, uh, southwest of Victoria, just completely blew my mind. You know what I mean? And right next to it. And, you know, it's not recognised. That, 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 that formation is not recognised. It's, 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 you know, every... Everybody sort of rolls their eyes at it, you know, and and then suddenly, you know, only about twenty k's away is a heritage listed rock wall 
built by some convict, you know, and, you know, you can't touch the wall, but you can drive a, you can drive a tractor and plough up the field that this, this other rock formation did. You know what I mean? It's sort of, it's hypocritical. It's such a beautiful, it's something to celebrate, you know, as, as Australians, that, that kind of rock formation. Um, the way the, 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 you know, Aboriginal people farmed the land and actually were the first bakers is something to celebrate, you know, but it's something that's just not in our history books. It's not something, it's something that we, you know, that for some reason Australian historians roll their eyes at. And it's actually something for all of us to celebrate. And it's kind of like, oh no, we can't, you know, don't worry about that sort of stuff. Let's, um, Let's, let's worry about, you know, some rock, some rock wall that, you know, was built by some convict. And that, that reckoning of, of our history, and um, I, I guess um, to take that optimism um, you were talking about earlier, I mean, people in the film who have maybe, you know, had a Southern Cross tattoo or, or weren't aware of, of the, the true nature of Australia's very brittle history um, post-invasion seem, you know, really willing to, to change their mind and, and, and to have a better sense of this country that is, um, you know, more unifying. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's exciting times too for our history because, you know, we grew, you know, we, 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 I, you know, I grew up without the internet, so the only history you had was in the library and in the books, and they were, they were written by, you know, with specific point of views in, in mind, you know what I mean? I still remember, you know, Captain Cook rocked up and, and proclaimed this place Terranolius, you know? And that was in the history books when I was going to school, and obviously that's not true. But today we have the internet, and there's actually a lot of lot of really important sort of history that that, um, that is people have access to. to now, there's a lot of bullshit on that thing as well, obviously. <laughs> but, um, you know, we can... You know, people have access to information because the only information we had was, you know, was, was written by the, you know, the, the 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 school board, and you know, and they had a very blinkered view on 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 how Australia worked. And it's kind of like now we're starting to learn a lot through through, you know, Mr. Pascoe or or, or Briggs or Jared or or you know, um, Gassan, these amazing professors, and that Professor Briggs, Professor. <laughs> Jared, Jared, you know that kind of idea. We, we're getting all this amazing information, but see, I, whenever I go anywhere, and I don't know which tribe that, who, who, who owns this lab because this, you know, I, I can't remember all six hundred. Um, I Google it, and then I, you know, and then generally when you Google a tribe, you can there's a couple of words there where you can use, you know, to say hello or you know, it's sort of like this is stuff that that is really really exciting, and you can have you can you know you don't have to be complaining that now that the the information is only in history books because it's actually out there and you can you can learn a lot through watching a film like this or through you know googling the the local indigenous people and it's got a rocking rocking soundtrack as well but I, i mean i was recently in cooktown just um a couple of weeks ago and went into one of the kind of dusty history centers and i didn't i suppose i was a you know, quite open-minded in what I might see. And I was impressed with how much the people inside those centres are taking on the learnings of people like Bruce Pascoe and others and really changing this kind of way they present um, Cook and his his journeys around Australia. And uh, I suppose, you know, we, we can change. And um, But I imagine the, the way that you've presented this, this film is going to be accessible to a, a fair few people that might not watch other kinds of documentaries that tackle these kinds of issues, do you think? 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I purposely went out to be a bit naughty and a bit sort of silly and a, and a bit sort of sort of ADT kind of. You know, it's, it's, it's it, you know the whole soundtrack is you know amazing Australian you know music, um, and it's got a, you know the the film's got a high energy sort of edit, and you know it's a, it's all designed that way to keep a you know a young more so in a strange way a younger generation sort of who who have the attention span of a gecko to. Um, to, to to be enthralled, you know, and to keep them keep them interested. And I kind of, I, I really enjoyed making the film, rather than sort of stuffy. Oh yes, well, you know, in 1788, you know, come around the corner. I was like, nah, get get rid of all of that. And, you know, you, should, you know, the film opens with the same standard. You know, it finishes with a, you know, a, a, a brand new Friends of Rom song that hasn't been released yet. So it's it's kind of. It was, you know, I did that on purpose to just keep the energy up and, and look at Australia in a slightly uh, hyperactive way. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic film and I, I really enjoyed watching it over the weekend. And um, before we let you go, Warwick, I have to ask, and I'm not sure if you can, you can reveal anything at this stage, but are there any other projects um, you're currently working on that we might um, have on our screens anytime soon? Yeah, there's a, I've just finished a new film, a new feature drama called uh, Sweet Country. Which is set in the it was a history film, God. Uh, set in the 1920s in Central Australia, Western. So there's lots of horses, lots of guns, lots of blokes scratching their balls and spitting. It's a lot of bo and you know, sort of a, a classic kind of Western Australian Western. So that hopefully, um, maybe mid mid next year, that'll be released in cinemas. Fantastic, and um, uh, and will we we get to see? Um, we don't need a map on SBS this Sunday. Will it get an international kind of screening as well? Do you think? Yeah, yes. There's talks. There's talks with um, you know wonderful um, stuffy old film festivals around the world. It's funny. It's funny, uh, I was talking to someone the other day, so just quickly. Um, you know, you, you try and as a director, you try and you know open your mind and you try and free yourself of all the you know the stuffy old directing ways of making a movie and you try and reinvent yourself with the script or you try and reinvent who you are as a director and then suddenly you hit all these film festivals and these film festivals all they're, they're, all they're, they're grounded in this history and they have like every rule under the sun and they're all about rules and no you can't do this and if, you, if this person looks at it we won't look at it and all this uh-huh. kind of stuff <laughs> but they need they need all these young silly fresh films to make themselves viable so it's sort of like this really weird <laughs> really weird thing where you know these old crusty old film festivals um need all these films with no rules to make themselves look good it's, it's a strange old thing but you know it's sort of symbiotic in a way we look after them they look after us and you know everyone has babies oh uh, well at least sydney got this got the um got to use it to open their festival this year and i'm um, looking forward yeah. to seeing it on <laughs> on sunday and um, not that nashen and sydney film festival across no, the old of course not. <laughs> <laughs> i really enjoyed it and um it's great to have a comic kind of um documentary of this kind that tackles something um, you know, so so current and so um, important to many of us. And um, we'll catch you again on Triple R, Warwick. No worries. I'll, I'll talk to you in six months when we release the Sweet Country film. Yeah, that sounds, sounds great. 
miss a date. No worries. Uh, Warwick okay. Thornton, um, thanks, Warwick. Um, he's a director and cinematographer, okay. of course, and uh, his film, We Don't Need a Map, it runs for an hour and a half, screening this Sunday on SBS. Don't miss it. We haven't got the Public Transport Users Association on the phone just because Melbourne's train system fell in a heap on Thursday night or because buses are replacing trains today on part of the Lilydale line. We're hoping to learn more about the progress of updating Melbourne's rail services in general and I suppose what we should be expecting as transport users from the new upgraded system, especially as uh, contracts are being negotiated at the moment with major providers like Metro. Uh, it's great to have Tony Morton from the PTA, uh, PTUA on the phone for us and um, thanks Tony and I suppose it's a... Good morning. Is a big, is it a bit frustrating at the moment being a public transport user? Um, I, I suppose, you know, if we can first talk about resilience of our network, it shows that it's kind of lacking a little at the moment, particularly with the train system. Well, I think uh, we, we, we do always see these failures on the public transport system. It's less common that they affect so many people at once, but uh, certainly failures large and small have been plaguing our, um, our, our train system in particular for, for, for some time. Uh, this, this, this latest one was, uh, um, is, is still being investigated and, um, it's, uh, it, it seems to have, um, a lot of our, um, a lot of our planners and managers a bit stumped, um, because it, uh, apparently was, uh, a computer system that failed in the train control room and, uh, that has actually, uh, brought the suburban train system to a halt on a, a few occasions before, just in, uh, in the last, in the last few years, uh, since that particular facility, um, went, went in in 20 um, there have actually been three separate incidents where a, a fire alarm has gone off in the in the Collins Street office building that, that actually hosts this train control centre, and that has uh, and that that's actually um, caused them to have to bring all trains in Melbourne to a halt um, while they while they evacuate the control centre and then and then come back half an hour later. Um, now this particular incident is, uh, is is something different again. It seems to be a computer failure, and although there's meant to be a backup system. It seems that maybe that backup system was a factor in, uh, in, in, in in the system actually literally stopping all the trains on their tracks at the height of peak hour, um, which is uh, which, which, which is a real concern with, with our system. And and it does remind us that um, we do um, now with our public transport system. In, in, in the current century and in 2017, we need to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. So we've, we've got these major infrastructure upgrades happening, which the Andrews government has, uh, has, has, has been pursuing, the, uh, the, the Metro Tunnel and, um, and all the level crossing elimination that's been, uh, uh, that, that, that's been going on. But of course, um, it's, it's not enough to be doing that by itself. We have to make sure that we actually catch up, um, with the half century of neglect that has has uh, caused our, um, uh, our rail system in particular to be so failure prone. Um, and we, in, in, a, in a city the size of Melbourne, we need to ensure we have a resilient train network that is up to um, the, the kind of standard that other, uh, other train networks in other cities around the world um, ha- have actually been running at for the last uh, two or three decades. Um, we've, 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 we've been very slow to, to catch up on that and, uh, and so we, uh, we, we're unfortunately in a situation where we do need to put in that greater effort to, uh, to ensure that 
we bring things up to scratch. So, so is our system in Melbourne, Tony, in your view, more prone to these sorts of uh, issues and, and I guess meltdowns as we experienced last Thursday than some other ones around the world or even in Australia, in your view? Yeah, people who travel by train daily um, know um, a lot. A lot of the problems that occur. Um, uh, those those the, the, the long-suffering people in Altona, in particular, are aware that uh, they, it, it, it seems every second day there's um, there is an Altona train cancelled, and they're left standing on an empty station platform for 22 minutes waiting for the next one. Um, or uh, or sometimes you'll have a group of trains bypassing the Altona loop and uh, um, and. And uh, there's there's just no uh, no no useful service to Altona. Um, that's a uh, that's that's a particular um, problem in our network, but it happens on every line. So no matter which line you travel on, whether you're on the Frankston line, or whether you're on the Hurstbridge line, or whether you're on the Sunbury line, um, you you do see um, uh, every every. Every few days, there is there is some kind of disruption, and and you do expect that um, that that failures will occur on any rail system. It happens uh, it, it happens in London and Paris and New York. Um, what, uh, what what the, the difference is though that um, that the, the failures don't happen with such regularity, and they uh, and and they're generally more limited in their effects. Um, so that uh, you, you don't have in those systems a, uh, a single point of failure that can take out the entire suburban rail network um, all, all at once, um, which, of course, is what we do have with this, with this train control centre. Those other cities have things like, uh, like hot backup facilities. They have, uh, they have secure facilities for their control rooms so that they're not vulnerable to things like false fire alarms and office buildings. And, uh, and, 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 and these things are, are managed in the way that critical infrastructure really ought to be managed. Uh, so uh, that, that's an example of the kind of effort we need to be making to really learn from other cities around the world and replicate their successful examples in, in Melbourne. And I mean, we are getting, as you mentioned, a whack of investment now on um, the Metro Tunnel project and the, the removal of, of many um, crossings, which will also benefit other other traffic and, and commuters. But is that going to be enough, in your view, to bring us up to scratch? I mean, you know, that you just raised a whole lot of other issues, but will this kind of get us a little bit closer, do you think, to a, a kind of 2017-style uh, rail network? <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it's it's all it's 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 good investments, valuable investment, and it's very welcome investment. Um, but uh, but it's a reminder of how far behind we actually are. Um, we we spent we spent decades in Melbourne um, spending billions and billions of dollars on on, on roads that have uh, basically uh, left us with a congestion nightmare um, that, that we talk about every second day as well. But in that time, we uh, we spent virtually nothing on our rail system and on our public transport services except to keep. Keep, keep things barely ticking over for, for, for quite a while. It was, it's really only in the past decade that we've had any substantial new investment in uh, either in uh, in expanding our, our network or in uh, or or in just uh, bringing it up to scratch in the 21st century. So it's still something where we are we are belatedly playing catch up after many decades of underinvestment. And, and in order to catch up, we do need um, that, uh, that that level of attention. And it's it's not just about money. It's um, 
the, the money is important. Well, Mike, Mikey, the, show, Mikey, uh, Mikey showed us it's not just about money. <laughs> uh, no, absolutely not. You can you can you can really spend money in a bad way, and we've been uh, and we've been doing a lot of that as well. But it's it's really about um, it's really about competence, effort, um, and good engineering expertise and subject matter expertise in transport planning. Um, to actually make what we've got work for us um, in, a, in a way that is um, reliable and resilient and, and actually meets, meets passenger needs. And sometimes there are, there, there, there are things you can do without spending billions and billions of dollars um, to actually make our system work better and, and more resiliently. Um, sometimes too, though, you do just need to spend the money to, uh, to, to, to maintain the infrastructure. But... Um, it's, it's, it's also a reminder that um, not, not, not all the good things we can do to improve our public transport system necessarily cost enormous amounts of money. What they do require is, um, is, is planning effort and mouse and, uh, and having the right people in the right positions in organisations like TTV and Transport Victoria um, to actually uh, keep things ticking over properly. If you just tuned in, we're speaking with Tony Morton, the president of the Public Transport Users Association, about uh, all things public transport, with a particular focus on on rail. And uh, as Carly mentioned at the beginning, Tony, contracts are currently being negotiated for uh, the provider of Melbourne's rail network. And I imagine for for Metro, the meltdown last Thursday couldn't have come at a worse time. But do you think that at all will impact on uh, the, the prospects of them having their contract renewed? Yeah, the I guess the. the the problems we're looking at here, to, uh, to, 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 to be honest, and while, while, while I wouldn't exonerate Metro Trains uh, for, uh, for, for a few things that have happened, um, at, at the same time, the, the problems that we have are, are larger than any single private operator. Um, and uh, I guess a lot of people uh, would, 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 would tend to possibly even blame privatisation for, uh, for, for a lot of the underinvestment that's occurred, for a lot of the, uh, the hands-off planning or non-planning that, that, that's happened at government level. Um, I think we're seeing now um, there, is, um, there, there is a lot more government planning effort going into this, that uh, the, uh, we are... Um, doing a few things to to make the privatised system work better from a passenger perspective. There's obviously a long way to go, um, but uh, we, uh, we, 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 we can see that um, there's... Uh, there's potential to, to make things work still with with a private operator, whether that's Metro Trains or someone else. We we also see there's an opportunity here. If the government wanted to, they could take the system back into public ownership and control completely. Um, that's that is an option that is open to them. Um, we don't know that it's an option they necessarily want to take, but uh, I think as the uh, as the Rail Tram Bus Union has has been saying, um, having things under um, under public control means that you automatically do have that level of accountability and um, and that discipline at a public level and within government to make things work properly for, for, for the sake of the public because you don't have this divided loyalty to the uh, to the public interest on the one hand and to a profit motive on the other. Um, it, it does make things very clear-cut. That's not to say it's, it's not the only way to make things work, work for passengers and, uh, you know, there, there, there are... Um, there are examples in, in, in Europe where where you have um, privatised operations with uh, with contractors, private operators doing things and doing and doing things well. But 
the uh, the key ingredient there seems to be um, highly competent public planning and management behind that private operator. And the private operator is really just um, doing um, doing what they do best, which is um, which, which which is managing day to day operations in a way that is efficient and uh, and, and good value for money. Um, I think um, that that that's. Um, that's something we can we can hopefully re- replicate with um, whatever new contracts are, are drawn up. We hope that they are um, they that they continue to improve on the on the older contracts in uh, in ensuring that uh, that the passenger outcomes are foremost. That we uh, that we actually monitor the things that need to be monitored and so on. But uh, if if we are to continue to have a privatised rail system, then we need to look very carefully at what the uh, what, what what the key performance indicators are in these contracts. Um, look at look at the public interest. Look at having things like follow the money powers for the Auditor General to actually go into the financial affairs of these um, of, of these privatised operators and make sure that um, that the taxpayer is actually getting value for money well, for of, um, what they're handing over. You sort of hope yeah. that that is happening, as you say. Um, I mean, I was in Sydney. <laughs> I was in Sydney recently and and had an incredibly seamless journey from the airport by rail all the way to the northern suburbs to somewhere else and back again to to get my flight home and. And didn't need a cab, nothing. And I, um, I must say, coming from Melbourne, I didn't take that for granted. I was really impressed. And I, uh, I wonder if, if there is something that we can learn just from, you know, really our, our nearest major city about how to make the service perform better for users. And I suppose as, as users, is there anything that we can do to, to help in that process? Yeah, so um, so so Sydney's rail system is um, by, by Australian standards a very a, a very good example. It's it's it, it's very well patronised. It's quite well run. It's uh, it's it's certainly not 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 perfect. And people from Sydney will be the first to light up and say, "Well, actually, there there are all these things wrong with um, with with rail." I'm sure. I mean, an anecdote's there, an anecdote, isn't it? They're doing yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but 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 they do do a. a a pretty good job in in, in Sydney of carrying. Um, I think uh, I think they still carry more passengers than uh, than we do in Melbourne. Not 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 by much, but um, it's a uh, it's a system that really does a lot of heavy lifting in that city. Um, and uh, and 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 certainly, I, I think that that uh, and, and that is a public operation too. It's not privatised, um, and, uh, and 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 they make it work. So uh, I, I, I think we would uh, we we. We'd like to see um, the, uh, the the Melbourne um, system re- re- replicate the good aspects of Sydney's system, um, and uh, but then avoid the uh, perhaps the bad aspects of some of the privatised systems and, and examples that we have seen, unfortunately, in the UK, which is where we really got our, our privatisation model from. I think we need to be improving a lot on the uh, on, on the experience there. So whether we have a public or a private operation, there are there are lots of good examples to learn from. Lots of bad examples to learn from as well. And just before we let you go, Tony, we do have a state election here in Victoria next year and we know that major road and, and transport projects can be hotly contested issues around election time. Do you see, um, I guess, to look into your crystal ball, any particular issues that will uh, come up uh, around next year's election? Uh, well, it, it's, um, it's it's always hard hard to say as much as a year out, but 
uh, I, I think there is uh, there, there is an ongoing debate about uh, about transport and city shaping in Melbourne. We uh, we have the, uh, the the Western Distributor Project going ahead, which appears to be a, a 1960s style commuter motorway um, straight into the straight to the city centre, which we we thought um, uh, for for three decades we'd actually abandoned that that kind of planning because we realised back in the 70s that that didn't work. Um, but uh, it, it, it could be that uh, we've 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 got uh, Transurban calling the shots there because they'll they'll collect the tolls from motorists who use this road. Um, so that's that. The, the debate over that project is really going to probably ramp up over the next twelve months. Uh, we just see where that goes, and then we've got the uh, we've got the ongoing issues of the rail system. We've got we've got good news um, uh, coming from uh, uh, we'll, we'll see good news from level crossing elimination. That's um, that's 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 really going to uh, to improve things for rail for rail and road users. We we, we would hope um, and, and see good results from that in the short term. Uh, the, the metro tunnel is is continuing to. To, uh, to, to progress, and uh, we'll be we'll be following that with interest. But uh, there, there's a lot happening in Melbourne. Lots of um, lot, 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 lots of infrastructure work, lots of construction, and uh, it's ultimately going to have quite a good result. But we have to make sure that we keep our eye on uh, we keep our eye on all the balls we've got in the air um, with, uh, with 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 new network initiatives, and also with making sure that our existing network does what it needs to do does the heavy lifting for a, for a city that's soon enough going to have five million people in it um, and uh, you know we, we, we really need need to think of Melbourne as as the next London or Paris or New York and then that's not necessarily a bad thing but um, it, it, it does mean that we've, we've we've got to be giving a lot more attention to our public transport system and uh, making that actually work as part of a functioning city. Thanks, Tony. Really great to um, have a chat with you on Triple R. And uh, may you not hear the words buses replacing today. Um, I'm sure we'll catch you again. <laughs> Tony Morton is he's president of the PTUA and um, and a very entertaining Twitter feed if you want to catch up with what's happening on the, the broader public transport network in Melbourne. This has been a podcast for The Grapevine on Triple R FM in Melbourne. If you want to hear more, head to our website, rrr.org.au.